Well, welcome back to another episode of the New News Podcast. It's Josh, Sandy, and Andrew here. We're talking playoffs today, talking about Final Four teams and things the Cardinals can learn from, especially one specific team in the American League. Talking about Yadier Molina and the discussions that sounds like the Cardinals and him are having about potentially joining the coaching staff in 2024 and beyond. And then also rehashing some of the potential misses the Cardinals have had in free agency over the past few years and what it should mean in the future when a potential star position player like uh, Bryce Harper hits free agency and you could sign. What do you do? Um, so as always, you can hit the link in our bio or um for the fanatics as well and our lids sponsorship and so um there's a so there's a deal on jerseys right now andrew you just got a, a new bar one so yeah i did yeah I'm gonna go so, right next to the the otani one it's gonna be great you'll see in a future episode so hop in there use the affiliated link it's awesome but okay so guys we're in the playoffs right now it's it's the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros, the ALCS, NLCS, it's the Phillies and the Diamondbacks, which that's nuts. The Diamondbacks somehow made it to the NLCS. And man, I, I'm going to assume the Phillies are going to knock them out, but we'll see here. But there's a lot of things we can talk about with those matchups. But something that really struck my attention is the Houston Astros. Now they've made it to seven or eight straight ALCSs now. And for all the talk of the Jerry Depotas of the world, the John Mozeliak types that will say, hey, you just win the division and fear or get into the wild card and see what happens in October. The Houston Astros have clearly shown there is a formula where you can get deep into October consistently. You can make it to October, you can get deep. Um, so it's not just win and get in. It is there's a true way to get deep into October. And so I'd love to talk about like what are some of those elements of success that we're seeing from the Astros that makes them an organization that can do that consistently. And like, what are the ways that the Cardinals maybe have some of those ingredients already? If they have any of them, what are the ones they're missing? And then like short and long-term, what does it look like for St. Louis to be that kind of organization that takes on the Houston Astros kind of identity and could be in the NLCS consistently and make the world series consistently. So Andrew, like when you look at the Houston Astros, what do you think it is that makes them so special? Yeah, I see a lot of really good veteran experienced winning players so you look at Altuve you look at Bregman um <clears throat> they even added Jose Breu who hasn't been like that accustomed to postseason success but he's a, a big time veteran um with a lot of just baseball experience Justin Verlander's been there a lot Framber Valdez just a lot of guys that have been there and have proven it um and you kind of look at the model from like 2011 2015 like those Cardinals teams had a lot of those guys um, Yadier Molina is, is one who comes to mind who just performs better when the lights are brighter. Um, Albert Pujols, a guy who wasn't really there for that stretch, but even before, um, a winning player, a lot of postseason success. So it's going to be tough because the Cardinals, they don't have that currently. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, not really the most um, well-known for postseason success. So they're going to have to to find a way to to make that happen um without that but um that's what i see right now with the astros just a lot of guys who have been there um continually yeah yeah i mean i liked what andrew said when he touched on the fact that the cardinals have sort of had this before i've got some of our seasons pulled up but like we saw the cardinals go just since 2000 to the nlcs it looks like five out of six years or six out of seven years or no, five out of seven years between 2000 and 2006. Um, then they went four years in a row and then had the best record in the league that fifth year that they didn't go in 15. Um, 
So we've seen them put together streaks, although nothing got as long as the Astros seven consecutive. I think it's super strange, right? The the team that's done it the most is the Braves from 1990 to 1998 or something like that. They did eight in a row, which was pretty cool. Um, but also like there's another round in the playoffs now. So the Astros have, you know, another level of quote unquote randomness, according to Jerry DePoto to deal with. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it is impressive. And we saw him do it in 2020 when they might not have had the best ball club. They didn't win their division that year. So, and again, extra round in those playoffs as well. Um, it's pretty crazy. I do agree with what Andrew said. Yeah, there are guys on this team. Uh, and and like some of those guys have moved on though. George Springer was kind of a known postseason hero. Carlos Correa is like third on the all-time postseason RBI list. That's crazy. Wow. And he's not there anymore. He's in Minnesota now and they just knocked him out. So there's something to be said, obviously, about what the Astros are doing. I think it starts with the pitching. Um, this, this team brought back Justin Verlander and he wasn't in the midst of one of his best seasons. Um, but they kind of did a lot to acquire him. They sent back very interesting prospect, took on a lot of money. Um, and, you know, they they did it and it's worked. Justin Verlander, he pitched well tonight. It doesn't look like they're going to win, um, but obviously that could change. I might have just jinxed the Rangers. But yeah, <laughs> Justin Verlander seems to be one of the key components here. And then also um, Framber Valdez is really good. Like they have a ton of starting depth and they're able to go toe to toe with anybody in one of those series. Yeah, I was looking back at the 2017 Astros too because I'm like, I wonder what like I can't remember what that core was like at that team. Obviously, the young guys that we know of, but like their veteran leadership they had on team. They had yeah. Carl Speltron at DH. They had Josh Reddick as their right fielder. They had Aoki, which I forgot about that. They had Brian McCann as their catcher. So they had a mix of veteran bats with. Correa, Absolutely. who is 22, Jose Altuve is 27, Bregman was 23, George Springer is 27. So honestly, when I look at their position player group, it kind of reminds me of what the Cardinals was like, where they have like three to four, probably like more like three veteran bats. Then they have like a couple of bats that are like not necessarily like rookies or sophomores anymore, but they're third, fourth, fourth year players. And then they had some of their emerging young core coming through. But then you look at their pitching too, like over the years, they've had Verlander, Dallas Keuchel, Charlie Morton, Zach Granke, Garrett Cole, Valdez, Javier, McClure's like, and they've done a mix. They've gone out and gotten a guy at the deadline. They've signed a guy in free agency. They've developed within. And so it just feels like they've been really aggressive and going after what is it that they really need. And so like they've developed some of the core position players, but then they supplemented some of them as well. They developed some of the core pitchers, but they supplemented some of them as well. And then to your point, Sandy too, they were really good at deciphering what are the guys they need to keep and who can they let go of. So like yeah. George Springer is an all-star level player and they let him walk in free agency. Carlos Correa, again, like and run top shortstops in all baseball, but they like trusted their internal option there and not just to be a cheaper option, but to be like, Oh, we can get, we can, be a good team and invest elsewhere without investing in Korea. So I think the team building side is such really interesting. When I look at their team in general, like if I think of like the model, it feels like they always have top rotation talent. It's like sometimes they have really deep rotation, but when you get to their short series, they've got two to three guys that can just shove. So that's huge. They've got um, a lineup that matches. So you look at all their lineups the past years, they're among the best in baseball. They've got two to three bullpen arms that they can rely on to close down games when they need. And then AJ Hinch was a good manager. I think most people would agree, but then now they have Dusty Breaker, Baker, who's one of the best managers in baseball history, probably. So I feel like they've had a really good ingredients there for success. So like 
think about the Cardinals. Do you guys think they have any of those ingredients right now? Like the lineup, the pitching, bullpen, manager. Do you think they have any of those things in place to be a club like the Astros? I think they've got some of those. I think the lineup is there. I think you could make an argument that the Cardinals have a better lineup than the Astros right now if everyone's healthy, obviously. Yeah. That's something that we're, that's something that you can't assume given the state of the team in 2023. But, I think the Cardinals have a championship caliber offense. Obviously the pitching's not there and I'm not sure Ollie is that kind of manager, but also like, I don't think Dusty Baker is that great a manager either. I know he's won with a bunch of different teams, but also like Dusty Baker had taken a bunch of teams to the playoffs and had never gone anywhere with any of them. Um, So maybe the, the Astros just have something. Um, One more thing. I was kind of looking at their seasons and I wanted to throw this in before we moved on yeah, faced some pretty weak competition in the divisional series most of these years, which Interesting. I'm not trying to sell them short or anything like that. I know that it's impressive and their streak is unbelievable, especially again with the added rounds. But like, you know, this year they faced the twins who notably have had basically zero postseason success in the last two decades. Uh, they played the Mariners last year who had zero postseason success in over 20 years, right? Um, the year before that they faced the White Sox and the White Sox are just not a great team. They faced the twins and the athletics in 2020, two very, very incomplete teams. So they're not bumping up against, you know, the best competition in these early rounds. And that's something the Cardinals unfortunately haven't been able to do, right? We had to play the Cubs in 2015. Um, the Cardinals got stuck facing the Braves in 2019. They actually won that series. Um, the Phillies last year, that team goes all the way to the world series, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that is notable, but at the same time, it's impressive the Astros do it again and again. So, you know, yeah. while it makes it maybe a little bit less impressive, it's still notable. Yeah, that's a good distinction because the American League National League dynamic, I mean, you think of the powerhouses in the American League, it's like the Astros. And then, I mean, you have one, one off years from the Rangers, which maybe they keep it going but like they're new the yeah. Orioles are new but even then like they're very flawed yeah um, I'd say really the only complete team in the National American League right now has been the Rangers and they're in the ALCS with them but then you look at the National League and it's like so Dodgers brutal. the Phillies yeah. the Padres should have been there they just had a weird year that should have been there yeah so like there's a lot more top end competition in the National League like I think like this year's wild card race you're like okay it's like who can who's going to like who's going to stumble their way into the playoffs in the national league. But next year it's like, I mean, we're coming to the season. There was a real question about who the sixth or who is, who are the six playoff teams? Cause there's like six, seven teams that probably should have made it. And Matt's obviously the Cardinals and the Padres didn't, which threw off the whole equation. But so I think this is probably harder to pull off in the national league. Absolutely than, right um, when you're looking at the American league specifically, but yeah, the Houston Astros model, it's, something special um, something the Cardinals could definitely be looking at long-term. Um, do you think that's something like think long, like long-term, like what were some things the Cardinals would need to do in order to become, even if it's not the Astros, but like a team that can once every two or three years be in the national league or in the NLCS can make the world series every couple of years or so. Like what does that look like to build that kind of organization back up? I think it starts with the pitching because we haven't had that the last few years. We've gone in. Adam Wainwright was our, our wild card starter. He was he was good, but um, like that ultimately wasn't the issue in that game. But 
Um, that's not who you really want as your number one. I mean, if we had advanced and faced the Giants that that year, it would have been what um, like Dakota Hudson and and like Wade LeBlanc and John Lester and Jay happens like so that that probably wouldn't have ended well. Thanks. Um, and last year, Jose Quintana was our game one starter, and our game two starter was Miles Michaelis. It's just not not names you really want feel comfortable with in the in the postseason. The Astros go with Verlander and Valdez, just guys guys who have been there, guys who who know what that is. So. Go out there, sign a couple of guys who have, have that postseason experience, not Clayton Kershaw, notably. Um, that's not <laughs> the kind of postseason experience we want on this team. But um, And then develop guys. Um, we need to develop pitching because we haven't really developed. We haven't hit on a guy since, I don't know, Adam Wayne, right? Is, is that fair to say? Like Carlos Martinez kind of Well, I, I don't know if I would say haven't hit on anybody. Like Flaherty, they hit. Yeah. He almost won a Cy Young in 2019. And like Carlos Martinez, like you said, but I kind of see what you're saying. We haven't had anybody be Justin Verlander. Yeah, like a bona fide top end guy. Wainwright's probably yeah. the last one, which is crazy. But then it's also like, I remember I wrote about this not that long ago. Like you look through the, it's like, I honestly, like, like the current state of their pitching is a mess they created themselves. Yes. But like you look at like the late 2010s, like the fact that none of Shelby Miller, Carlos Martinez, Michael Walker, um, Alex Reyes, um, who I'm a couple other guys I'm missing. Um, Luke like they, yeah, like they just I mean, even Luke Weaver is like a three star. Like the fact that like all of them underachieved their expectations and mo- like Luke was like a top, I think he's the top 100 prospect at some point, but he wasn't like a top end. Sure. But, like you look at Miller, you look at Reyes, you look at martinez you look at waka like these were guys that had like legit expectations and almost all of them injuries robbed them and so like i do think there's an element of they got unlucky with the mid tooth oh jack flaherty i forgot like uh, he was good but like he got robbed of a lot of his stuff and so uh, i think they got unlucky for a while and maybe that did set them back developmentally as a staff where they're like trying to like they plan for all of these years to have one or two of these guys pan out and none of them did. So now they're throwing money to get a four or five starter when they felt like they wouldn't have to have one. And I don't know, maybe it helped create this mess, but I don't know. It seems like it's getting better. There's arms in the system you like now, but it's going to take a year or two for things to kind of unravel. But speaking of the next year, Yadier Molina. So the report came out from Martin Killicoin that, um, the Cardinals and the uh, and Yadier Molina have talked about the idea of him being a coach next year. Killcoin, um, I believe he said that the, it would likely be as a bench coach, so not like a catching instructor or something like that. It would likely be in a, in a, a larger capacity. So, like initial thoughts, the potential of Yadi coming back to St. Louis. What are you guys thinking with that? I really like it. Um, I've been of the opinion this this season that. Yadier Molina kind of held the pitching staff together. Like the pitching staff had a lot of holes and we didn't really see that because of his pitch calling. He knew exactly what the pitchers wanted to throw. And I'm not saying that they should go out and sign nobody and have him call all the pitches and make all the matches. <laughs> that's that's not what I'm saying at all. They definitely need to go out and get as many starters as they can. But um, it, it'll it'll help for sure. I think if he's in the – because I think Contreras had pitches calling from the dugout at, at times with the Cubs – so if we have Yadier Molina calling all of the pitches, which I think he's allowed to do as a bench coach, that would be that would be really beneficial. Um, you can get the most out of your pitchers that way as well. Um, and I've always said that Yadier Molina should be an assistant pitching coach 
he doesn't know how to pitch, but he can go out there, make the mound visit, make calm everything down. And that's what he's done for 19 years in the Cardinals uniform. I feel like as a coach, it's not, not much is going to change. Hmm. I can't tell you how excited like this gets me. <laughs> Who doesn't want to see Yachty back at Bush Stadium? Hopefully wearing a uniform as the bench coach. I don't like this, this stuff where coaches don't wear the uniform. And it would be awesome, okay? I would love to see Yachty back in the Cardinals uniform hanging out in the dugout. Um, but, yeah, like Andrew said, I think he was a huge stabilizing factor in this pitching staff. And, you know, we were talking earlier about all the Cardinals' great prospects that didn't make it. But also, the Cardinals somehow have forever been able to turn uninteresting starters into effective pitchers for so long. I mean, Tyler Lyons was an effective pitcher with the Cardinals for a while. Like who is that guy? I don't even, I don't even know. He was terrible within, he would have been horrible anywhere else, but the Cardinals were able to make it work. They, they put together, you know, they kind of cobbled together pitching staffs forever that just worked. J.A. Happ, John Lester, Wade LeBlanc, Quang Hyun Kim, and Miles Michaelis. That was a real thing that took the Cardinals to the playoffs averaging about 40 years in age. So um, obviously we would love to see Yachty back if he can do that. And I'm like Andrew said, it's not going to be this miracle solution that's going to fix everything. Um, but it's probably a step in the right direction. Yeah. I, I like even you think of like some of the critiques they made of Contreras this past year with his in-game prep or preparation before the game and in-game stuff. It's like having freaking Yadier Molina in the dugout and having him a part of that coaching staff helping. I think some of the things that Honestly, I love that they're taking ownership of it. We're like, hey, we relied on Yachty for so long for all of this. Maybe we just need to bring him back and let him take over on some of that. Um, I do think the role specifically of bench coach is really interesting because like, I doubt this happens without Ollie Marmol signing off on it. Like, Unless they really wanted this to happen. and like, all, like, I think they believe in Ollie enough where if he was adamantly against it, they would not let him do it. But for Alling to bring in Yachty, that means every single day, there are going to be people calling for Yachty to be the manager. And every time Marmol makes a perceived mistake, people are going to be calling for his head. And so I will have a ton of, I will gain respect for Marmol as a manager if he signs off on this, because he's, I think, and this is an example of him putting the team before himself and saying Absolutely. what would be the best version of this team would be having Yadier Molina back, even if it means I have all this external pressure that I'm facing. And honestly, like almost every manager gets fired. So basically what he's doing is bringing in his replacement, whether it's middle 2024 or it's 2029, like, and I doubt Yadi waits that long to be a manager, but that's the other thing too. It's like, they could be doing really well. And if Yadi's like looking at other places, I could see them. Like, I think this is a bold move for them to bring him in with Marmol's management. So do you guys think that'll be a problem earlier, middle of the season to have Yadi in the dugout? Like, even if they're winning, do you think that could be an issue with like fan perception or, or is that mostly just talk? I mean, I could already see people on Twitter. Yeah, it's it's not going to be pretty. I mean, either way, if the team's losing, it's going to be bad. If the team's winning, people yeah. will be like, oh, it's because of Yadi. Just make him the manager already. So, like, yeah, I don't know. it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. I, I don't think the Cardinals want him to go walk and, and wear another uniform and and manage another team. That would be so oh. weird to see. I I don't. He's just a franchise player. I don't see him going anywhere else. That would be really really strange. So to bring him bring him in so early, I feel like is a little bit interesting because they, they yeah. kind of have groomed Marmol to be this kind of like future manager. And he's so young that like 
it, it kind of makes sense that he would be here for for a lot longer. But um, if they bring in Yachty, that that probably means another like two or three years before he becomes the manager of the Cardinals, and Marmol has to to go somewhere else. But yeah, I, I'm all for it. Um, either way, having him in the in the dugout, I think, will help us win more ball games, and that's ultimately what I want this team to do. This is just wild because there are so many different ways you could look at this, right? Like for for managers, like you said, Josh, you're either fired or you're not. You know, it's up or out at this point. And um, there's no no more up for Marmol. So this is probably the end of his time with the Cardinals organization because managers don't get fired and reassigned within the organization. Schilt's a lifelong Cardinal. And when he gets fired, he's out, you know. Um, that's crazy. You think about a franchise great like Yadier Molina, and this isn't David Ross, who, yes, was a big deal to one franchise, um, but wasn't like one of the greats of his generation. You could see something where Yadier's like getting his number retired while he's the manager, <laughs> like getting inducted into the Hall of Fame and has all these other concerns while he's the manager. That's just, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I don't know if that's ever happened. So yeah. it'd be really interesting, a ton of different ways you could look at this. Um, the outside pressure that it would exert on the team. But like Andrew said, I do think the Cardinals win more games with Yachty making decisions like that. And so ultimately I'll support it. Yeah. I can't remember who it was, but um, maybe it was Mark Saxton or something. Someone was talking about how um, Yachty teams, people always talk about, he didn't talk much in the clubhouse, but when he talked, Mm. everyone listened and everyone followed his lead. And so it's like for an, like for his, I think it's been pretty openly talked about that Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado aren't the most vocal leaders of all time, which isn't a negative thing. Like it's just not their personality style. Wilson Contreras is fiery, but he's again like with the whole situation. Like I don't know if he's necessarily the center like leader. If you bring that kind of leadership into the clubhouse, like Ali, I don't think Ali doesn't bring that leadership. But like it's different when he's like one, like Yadi's like one of the guys, and so. Uh, I think that's interesting, but also I'm shocked, like personally, like I love this, but I'm shocked the Cardinals are on for it. Like, I did not think they would want to sign up for the idea of Yachty because I just think if that could get so messy, um, like if like say Yachty does take over as manager and things plummet and like, there's just like, I'm just like, how do you like get rid of Yachty as the manager? Like, how do you like, he's not going to like want to be like controlled by the front office and told what to do and so it just it's i just i think that this is a good sign that it's like hey we just we got to shake things up and even if it makes us uncomfortable we got to do it and so i'm a big fan of it i could have maybe seen it in a decade from now after he already had success somewhere else and it just worked out that way but like bring it on bring yanni for 30 plus years make him the next like willie mcgee and like a like literal lifelong cardinal like let's do it well, and what does this mean for a guy like Adam Wainwright, who it looks like is going to be a broadcaster, hopefully, because he's incredible, right? Adam Wainwright in the booth, yeah. unbelievable. Could he be the next? I mean, he's going to be calling Cardinals games next year, right? I mean, that's happening. I think I heard that. I, just, I don't know where it came from, but right. I think I heard he's yeah. going to do part-time. But I think he's looking national as his main gig. But I mean, we'll what see. could this mean? Imagine, imagine you tune in and Adam Wainwright is the guy in the booth. Oh. with chip adam and chip and like bt because i love bt get some time in there too but it's adam and chip yadi is filling out the lineup card and handing it in and albert pujos is working with the guys in the cage could you imagine it'd be incredible <laughs> i mean albert has has nine more years in anaheim that he has to serve oh yeah just, it shouldn't count they cut it. It should avoid the contract 
Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think they should have just got rid of that when they released him, but I guess not. Yeah. I heard there was something about he maybe could have but he like was I mean he's such a good guy he's like I'm gonna fulfill what I told them I would do and I'm like yeah dude just come to St. Louis what are you doing the uh, Anaheim fans they don't even like him they don't even like him yeah they don't deserve they don't even I interact because just... we talk about like Otani on Twitter and stuff and they'll just like bring up Albert Pujols and be like he was bad I was like okay yeah, I think we like uh, we like overrate how bad he was at times. Like he had some a couple bad years at the end, but like he was like still like a productive hitter, and he still yeah. had some all star like not prime Albert years, but like his early years of that contract, he was still a great hitter. So yeah, he had a hundred uh, RBIs three of his first four years there. Uh, hit yeah. forty homers there. Yeah, Anaheim didn't deserve him. Oh well, not at all. It's okay. It's fine. They should just give us their other guy. Mike Trout. Uh, maybe that, I mean, I'm all for that too. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, speaking of a generational talent like Mike Trout or the other guy, um, one of the things that last two postseasons, Bryce Harper goes off, and myself, I get, I, I'm guilty of this too. But I'm like thinking back to 2019 and him sitting on the open market. And no teams wanting to sign him outside of the White Sox and the Phillies. And he signs for a record contract, but the AAV is like Bargain. 26 million a year. Bargain. Like they got a steal. And it's just like, how did the Cardinals not go in on this? How do you say that Dexter Fowler and the coming of Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader is what you need to get by with? Oh, it just makes me so frustrated. So, like, it, like, okay, so like, that first let's start with that like do you think there's real beef the like fans should have about this idea that the cardinals didn't pursue bryce harper we don't really know fully what his interest level is like but it's been reported that he at least was i he liked the idea of st louis and again i feel like if they put a better offer out than the phillies i kind of think he would sign there but what do you guys think kind of about this rehash of the conversation well so correct me if i'm wrong but harper's a boris guy right yes so he's probably taking the most money. Almost every single Boris client that I can think of has done that. Like, unless you get down to the end of their career and they're kind of talking about, oh, I want my legacy moment or whatever. Like Boris guys take the most money. So if the Cardinals had put out the best offer, Harper was going to come to St. Louis. It wasn't going to be a Stanton situation where you had to be able to trade for him and he was going to make the same amount of money everywhere. So there's that. Um, also, like like you said, Harper signed for a bargain. $26 million AAV is not crazy. The Cardinals extended Goldschmidt that offseason for a deal with a higher AAV, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, I think it might have been, or at least the first few first few years might have, might have been. Yeah, but... it was front-loaded, but like he was either at or approaching 30. And then they took on Arenado right after that for what's definitely a higher average annual value mm-hmm. than Harper. So you're talking about a team that's already paying guys big money. Harper would have easily solidified this big three. And at that point, we were talking about a big three that included Marcelo Zuna, um, and Paul Goldschmidt. So I don't know. It definitely frustrates me. Um, generational talent guy already had an MVP, uh, was still in the prime of his career. Now, granted, he was coming off of a couple of down seasons, down seasons in quotes for Bryce Harper because he's a perennial all-star. But all that did was lower his value. All that did was make people more like make it easier to acquire him. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Cardinals fans should definitely have beef with the front office for that. I think that's a clear miss. And it's a much better reason to beef with the front office than Dolis Garcia or even Randy Rosarena. Like, this is a clear miss 
the Cardinals had a great chance to sign a generational talent and didn't. Oh my gosh. I'm looking. I was like, I remember his 2018 national season. People were ripping on him. 889 OPS, 133 oh, OPS no. plus in his yeah. down year. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. People, that was back when people cared too much about average still. And he was hitting 249. They're like, see, he's awful. And it's like, are you kidding me? So I just. I wish we had more people hitting 249 after this year, by the way. Our team batting average was terrible. Yeah. And to your yeah. point, too, like, I think there's a difference between the Randy Rosarina. Like, anyone could have had him and Bryce Harper. Anyone could have had him. Like, I saw someone um, respond to someone on Twitter. I was like, get over it. 29 other teams could have got him, too. But I'm like, 29 other fan bases should also feel this way. Like, yes. honestly, even the Oakland and Tampa fans should be like, if you're ever going to pony up for anyone, it should have been Bryce Harper. Like, yes. it's just like, it's just dumb. Like, you're not asking them to give, like, I mean, I get. He, I get he got the record number, but he was 25 years old. Like giving the guy 11 year deal, like you're not like that's not crazy for someone in the middle of their prime that's already like he's already on the path to be a hall of famer. He's going to be a hall of famer. Uh, If you, yeah, now signing Bryce Harper would have meant you were retiring his number in 15 years, and he's going into the hall of fame, and he's wearing your cap. He's going to wear Philly's cap. Um, It looks like this Phillies team really could win a World Series, so. That's going to be on Bryce. Like that's his legacy. He's already won an MVP there. Like, oh, it's brutal. Yeah. I think one of the thing and the injury jump in here too, like it's just so weird that they've been willing to go to that number with guys in their thirties, but not with a guy who is 25, 26. Like, I just don't get like, what is the problem there? Um, and I know the, the Arnano contract, they've gotten money in return. So they're not paying him straight up 35 million a year all the time. And Goldschmidt, like they traded for him and extended him and they didn't give up a lot to get him in a trade. So like they they go after the veteran guys in a good way. I just don't get the reluctant reluctancy to go after these generational talents that are just sitting in their lap. Speaking of a generational talent, Andrew, you've been advocating all the time and like we, like we joke about it, but it's like, you're right, man. Like when a generational talent's there, like typically they end up being a generational talent still. Yeah, I mean, we're all looking right now at Bryce Harper. And was he what he's doing in the playoffs? And we're like, oh yeah, we'd love even with the Cardinals lineup as is, we'd love for him. Love well, guess what Bryce Harper is? Bryce Harper is a power hitting left-handed DH who shot who plays at his best when the lights are the brightest. Does that remind us of anyone else that might be on the open market this year? Reminds me of a dude who struck out Mike Trout. Yeah. Um yeah. so the Cardinals are learning from their mistakes to not go after the top end pitching. Like they didn't go after Scherzer, they didn't go after some of those other top name guys, and they're probably going to do that this offseason. But I feel like uh, we're going to have another another case this this winter where um, a certain Shohei Otani is on the open market. The Cardinals aren't going to even consider signing him, and then in like five years he's going to be popping off with the Dodgers or the Mariners in the playoffs, and we're going to be like, wait. We could have we could have got this for like what fifty five million a year, considering that he's also a Cy Young caliber starting pitcher. I feel like that's the AAV there. If you split it in half, that's not going to be, that's not really going to add up to to what Bryce Harper's numbers are even looking like right now. So it's it's frustrating because I know they're not going to do it. Everyone's told me that they're not going to do it, and if they do it, I, I don't know. We'll throw a party, but um, even if you're even if you just want Bryce Harper in your lineup right now, you can go out and pay him next this offseason. He's he's sitting right there. 
if anything, his offensive numbers are even a little better, which is kind of crazy considering he also has to focus on being a full-time starting pitcher. But Otani will be there. He's going to give you exactly what Harper is going to give you. Same defensive inflexibility. He's going to have to DH every day. And like, I know Harper's playing first base, but if he's playing for, he's not going to play first base on the Cardinals. That wasn't going to happen. So um, he was going to DH every day. Um, and if we're thinking about defensive, like inflexibility, maybe Contreras has to catch more often than you would like, but I don't really care. You're getting a 900 plus career OPS hitter. And guess what? Your your focus is on the pitching right now. Come 2024, he's going to be your number one. So I don't know. They're gonna they're gonna regret it um, at some point. I can I can almost guarantee that. Well, I mean, I've got some stuff to say about that. I do think Harper being twenty six million is very different from Shohei Otani approaching sixty million a year, right? Like the payroll inflexibility you're gonna get from paying Shohei Otani sixty million dollars a year is is crazy. And I understand teams kind of balking at that, especially with this injury. Harper, in my opinion, is a special case because Harper came up with so much hype. He was viewed as overrated the moment he got to, to baseball. And he also like sort of was one of the first people to bring in this sort of like let the kids be kids era, like super loud, got in that fight with Papelbon that was really cool, like known for being a hothead and kind of developed like this bad rep. Uh, everyone thought he was overrated, overrated, overrated. And that resulted in him being incredibly underrated by the time he hit the open market. At least that's just how I see it. Now it's kind of evened out. Everyone kind of knows, okay, Harper's a generational talent. We knew that from the beginning. We should have just viewed him with this sort of uh, moderate viewpoint before. So I do think like he was kind of a special case. Also, I just, I was kind of working on this. Um, I want to show you three players and I want you to tell me which player you would give a mega contract to. Okay. Number one. And this is their three seasons leading up to uh, their free agent. They're like the time they hit free agency. So player one uh, in 17 games over those three seasons has a 133 OPS. That's obviously really good. Has a or a 133 OPS plus OPS of 897 hits 90 home runs. Okay. Player two, 429 games. So a little bit more durable. OPS plus of 144, OPS of 953, that's over 50 points higher, uh, hits 83 homers, so almost the same amount of power. Also, he has less strikeouts, more walks. Player three, 475 games, so easily the most durable, only misses, geez, like 15 games in this whole span. 128 OPS, 855 OPS, 128 OPS plus. Um, 107 bombs, though, so more power than either of the other two. Uh, Comes with a fair bit. Uh, more strikeouts though in order of war three one and two are worth the most sorry if that's really confusing Um, but those players are Manny Machado had the most war Anthony Rendon had the second most Harper had the least Anthony Rendon had the highest OPS plus of those three 144 like throwing around these numbers I know I'm throwing around a lot it could be really confusing for the viewers right now but all I'm saying in those three years before Anthony Rendon was actually the better player by like a significant margin. Manny Machado with the defense he was providing was worth the most of all three of them by a significant margin. Um, and so like those guys got signed to mega deals too. And those are not looking nearly as good. Yeah. I think the one counterpoint I'd maybe make to that is obviously like Rendon and um, 
Machado both had elite seasons before hitting free agency, but I think Harper's the one who truly had, I mean, he won an MVP and they didn't for a reason. Like he truly had a generate, like not even just like an MVP season that like yeah. typical, like he had a historic season. And was that 2017? I can't remember what year it was. He won the MVP 2016. Um, so I think like 2015. So like he's, yeah. he had these like heights that he reached that it's like, I mean, I just don't see like, I don't know. Again, it, recency bias, revisionist history is really easy to do with something like this. So I like that a lot. We bring it up with it. And to your, again, the AAV point, like the 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 real issue with not, not going up to Harper here is the fact that it was truly a bargain yeah. um, that you could have gotten him at um, compared to what else. But I just think, I don't know. I look back and I think like Rendon, I remember when he signed the angels, I was kind of like, Oh, that's, that's interesting for them. But I just, I didn't view him as like the Harper Machado free agency type. Um, but I want to turn our attention a little bit to like, so Andrew, I think your point about Otani's fair. Um, I, I would side with Tini a little bit in terms of, I get why teams would be hesitant to invest that much into one player when just takes an elbow injury, like a little bit more significant than this. And he, you'd lose both play. You'd lose both players. Um, or just one half of that, then you're paying a DH 60 million a year instead of 30 million. But I think the next example that we're going to see of this again, it's not going to be a bargain deal, but it's like Juan Soto in mm. 2024 after the season, he'll be going into his age 26 season and he'll be hitting free agency as a guy who has had also a historic season in 2022 or 2021. He had one of the highest uh, OPSs. Or sorry, not 2020. Was it? Oh, no, 2020. So the shortened season, he had one of the highest OPSs of all time. 2021, he followed up with a 999 OPS season, a little bit down of a 2022 year, but as a 930 OPS this past year, he's a career 946 OPS, 157 OPS plus. Like this is a future Hall of Famer who is hitting the free agent market at age 26. Now, again, he's going to get the mega deal. So it's not the same as Bryce Harper, but I'll be interested to see if the Cardinals are interested in like, they clearly had real talks about acquiring him in trade. And that's different when you have to trade for a guy, give up all your prospects and give him a contract. But when he's just the money in free agency, like I think that's something again, this off season has to be pitching and pitching, pitching, but like maybe this is an argument where you don't re-sign Goldschmidt and you let him hit. Like I I'm, I'm not necessarily advocating for this, but like an aggressive model would be don't give Goldschmidt the early extension. You usually would give him let it play out, see what the team looks like next winter. And maybe you do invest heavily into a pitch or into a Juan Soto type, or, or even if it's on the next few years, like going into the future, do you give Jordan Walker the big deal? If he continues to blossom, do you go after one of these young guns that hits free agency, like in five or six years when it's Gunnar Henderson or Jackson holiday or Adley Rutschman, like, the card I think the Cardinals need to reevaluate how they view the position players that are this mm. high of caliber, especially in the middle of their prime or in their middle, not even the middle of their prime, the beginning of their prime. When you're hitting 25, 26, like you're not paying for the last two years of it, like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. You're you're paying for five, six, seven years of elite play. And that's just not something they've been willing to do. Yeah, I really like Soto. I think he's a guy that would fit in. The defense is a little bit questionable, but some of those guys you don't really care. I mean, one yeah. thing to note, though, with, with going back to the Otani point, I mean, you're talking about Bryce Harper and Soto. They both had generational, historic, whatever seasons. But I, I seem to recall someone 
in the American League leading the entire league in ERA plus and OPS plus at the same time. I don't know if you <laughs> forgot about that. Um, I, that just doesn't I happen. I didn't forget. You just don't like pay never, those other guys $60 million a year. You pay them 40 I mean, or 26. We're, we're looking at two guys. I'm like, yeah, one of them goes down with an elbow injury. You lose one of them. You're paying a DH $60 million. But if you have say Max Scherzer and Bryce Harper, Max Scherzer tears his, tears his elbow. Well, yeah, you lost Max Scherzer too. Like it's not, you're paying That's fair. collectively 60 million. So I don't yeah. know. Well, uh, it's not going to happen, but I just, I, I want, I want our viewers to know that when Otani starts popping off in like three years in the postseason, I mean, don't, don't say it. Don't say I didn't tell you so. Okay. I actually do kind of have, Okay, this is probably my take that Andrew hates the most out of everything. Shohei Otani <laughs> is not a two-way player. He is a one-and-a-half-way player. He does not play the field, and the field matters. Okay, field does what position matter. does Bryce Harper play? Okay, when Bryce Harper was signed to this deal, he was an outfielder. It They they were signing him as an outfielder. The only reason he's been playing DH is because he's been hurt. He was Plan A was to put him in right field for the entire decade. Shohei Otani doesn't play the field. That does count. That's why Judge outwarded him in 2022. Aaron Judge deserved the MVP that year. We can have that argument all day long, but Aaron Judge played great defense. That counts. You know why the Cardinals were so bad this year? Yes, the pitching sucked, but the defense was terrible. Damn. The defense counts, and it does matter. That's why Nolan Arenado is going to be a Hall of Famer. It's the defense. No, Juan Soto. Juan Soto is going to help us defensively. He's not, and that's why I kind of don't know how in on Juan Soto I am. I want five tool players. Yeah, I mean, and Bryce I think Harper was supposed to be that when he came to Philadelphia, by the way. Yeah, and Bryce will probably go back to being an outfielder when his elbow is healthy. Yeah. And if not, he's the first baseman. So there's the there's a little bit yeah. of difference there. And like there is those like you have to run a six man rotation with Otani, which is just that's different. And you also clog up your DH spot. So like there are some like cons that like are restrictive to the team on top of the salary type side of things. But again, I'm not necessarily like I mean. What do I give an odds of Juan Soto be signing St. Louis? Like less than one percent. Like I just don't see that happening. But yeah. I think that's what they have to like. And part of it too, like if Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman and Large Newbar they take the steps next year, like they probably just need to keep investing in pitching. So like I don't really know if there's a big argument there. But I also look at like a team like again. If I think of what would the Phillies do, what would the Astros, I mean, maybe not the Astros, but like what would the Dodgers do? The teams that do consistently, it's like they talk to Juan Soto. They figure out if it make it work. Like that, like Dodgers, when Freddie Freeman was sitting around, they scooped him up. Like yeah. I just think like I the Cardinals need to start at least getting to that market where it's like even if they're not, uh, I don't know. I think people would argue they do. No, actually, I think people argue they swindled the waters, but I don't think they actually do it. They don't sit and like figure out Trey Turner is going to come down yeah. a little bit, or I think and obviously Juan Soto is going to get a mega deal, but they need to be in on these guys and get creative Absolutely. with things in a new way. And I think they've bought themselves time on this position player conversation for a while where I see why they would wait it out. But I do think Nolan Arnado's aging, Paul Goldschmidt's aging. Like it's it is a lot to put on the shoulders of Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman, Lars Newbart to be like not just really good players, but like three, four hitters in a championship lineup. Like that's a different beast of a player. I think they have the potential to do that, but if they don't, like they have to be willing to jump into those waters again. Cause I just don't, I mean, I know that happens and they've pulled off twice, but like, what are the odds they get another Nolan or Arenado deal yeah, like that happening. or another Paul Goldschmidt? Like 
they're going to have to pony up or they're going to have to get the prospects. And so my, again, I always hope you just pony up, especially when it's a guy in their mid twenties. Like I get not ponying up for the 33 year old, but when it's yeah. Bryce Harper, 26 million, what are you doing? Totally agree. And I see a crop of these young guys, like the Royals are not going to resign Bobby Witt Jr. They're not going to extend him. Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be a free agent in like what, four years. Yes. The Cardinals should be all in on this guy when he hits the market. And I know I'm talking about him super early, really random. And like, yeah, there's Mason Wynn, but say the Cardinals, Mason Wynn doesn't work out. Uh, you know, I hope the shortstop's not Tommy Edmond in five years. Like if that's <laughs> the case, they need to go all in on one of these guys. And I like these yeah. guys. They're five tool players. And you mentioned earlier, the Orioles young core, like, yeah, they're probably not going to re-sign all those guys. Yeah, no um, way. But also extensions. This is something I, I wanted to yeah, bring up earlier. Forgot. I want to bring it up now for sure. The Cardinals need to extend their young players. That's how you turn into one of these teams. That's how you create financial flexibility, right? If the Cardinals do what the Braves do, which is pump out incredibly team-friendly contract extensions very early on, you create a team that suddenly has room to spend. The Braves have room to spend. Like they've spent pretty big on their bullpen. In recent years, they were able to acquire a guy like Will Smith just because they wanted to, um, right? Like, like these are things the Cardinals have not done recently. And it'd be really nice if we had that flexibility. You lock these guys in on early deals. I mean, look at the deal Sean Murphy just signed. What was that, like six years, $72 million? That's crazy. They bought out some of his free agent years. Talk yeah. about um, Ozzy Albies is on like a decade-long <laughs> deal. That's way too team-friendly. There's no way yeah. you should that deal. Austin Riley just got on one. Um, Matt Olson's on one. Ronald Acuna is on. I mean, Ronald Acuna, yeah. your 2023 NL MVP is getting paid like $16 million a year for eternity. Like you can get these guys. Jordan Walker needs to be on something like that. Nolan Gorman absolutely needs to be on a deal like that. And maybe they have agents that tell them don't take that deal. But also when you're that age, who knows? Because yeah, you might end up with another Paul DeYoung or even worse, another Evan White like the Mariners had. You know, he never even stepped on the field. DePoto signs him to a four-year extension. He's abysmal. Um, but I don't know. I think the Cardinals need to be doing that, that young contract extension machine. And that's something they did kind of in the Jockety era and the early Mosaic era. I would love to see that come back. Yeah, especially because they, I mean, it worked out with even like some of the Mosaic ones. Yeah. Like the first Matt Carpenter deal was incredible. It's the second, awesome. like, I think everyone forgets that like he signed a second extension and the second extension is the one that was terrible. Um, yeah, but yeah, and, and I like I like the comps of Michael Harris or Austin Riley or um, Sean Murphy, Matt Olson, because like the Cooney one and the Albies one, like oh gosh, no international free agent or yeah. guy coming through should ever sign a deal like that again if yeah. you have promise like they did. But I mean, if the Cardinals have a guy like that in the system, they should try and make it happen. But like you look at the Harris deal, Olson, like. A lot of the like even the Murphy one, they like they they get really creative with it too, where they don't kill their early for financial flexibility. They just kind of give them these like slight raises every year than the, what they should have made. So like it's not like they're like immediately making twenty million dollars a year now. It's like oh, instead of making the league minimum, they're gonna make three million. And yeah. instead of making three million, they'll make six million. And then so they they build that flexibility for the future and today. And I think the Cardinals, like you said, they have to get on that train, especially if there's not clear ways to do that. Like they're not going to have to go after a Juan Soto or whatever, like use that financial flexibility. You have it now. So then when a need pops up in the future, you have the money to go do it instead of being like, well, this guy's going to hit free agency soon too. And we have all this other stuff going on. It's like prepare for that. Yeah. That way when Bobby Witt Jr. is a shortstop 
or Bobby Wichita, <laughs> a shortstop, is a free agent in four seasons. You can go in on a guy like that, especially yeah. if you have a need. And yeah, like it, it is tough for Cardinals fans because we've seen more than ever these stars hit the free agent market very, very young, uh, and it's very exciting. We had some of the greatest shortstop classes multiple years in a row, right? Like we had that big class, and then we had another even bigger class with Xander Bogarts and Trey Turner. Um, and the Cardinals really, I, like a lot of fans, I guess, thought the team was going to play in those waters, and they didn't. Uh, and it's frustrating. You know, I get it. Um, and it's because we talked about this in another episode, Josh. The Cardinals seem to shop in the middle of the market, which that's another pet peeve. And that could be a whole episode right there to complain about why you should not shop in the middle of the free agent market. Um, but yeah, they do need to change the way they view these franchise altering pieces. But at the same time, you need to set yourself up for the success in order to be able to even chase that. I mean, I'm well, just nerding find Javier Baez because they were linked to him many times. Oh it's like that would have been terrible. So glad we avoided that. Yeah, yeah. And I was so out on the Dansby Swanson. Oh my gosh, I saw one. Google was the only oh, person yeah. who ever kind of connected it, but it was like a very specific scenario where they could be interested in him. And I was like, please do not go would for Dansby horrible. Swanson. Yeah. So so glad that did not happen. Anyways, well, now we know in 2027 or 2028, whichever year it is, Bobby Witt Jr. is a free agent target. So if you're looking for for a future episode of 2028 free agent targets, Sandy's going to be working on that soon. Uh, any well, other Bobby lasting Witt thoughts Jr. you guys party. have? <laughs> Bobby Witt Jr. party. <laughs> Sandy's hey, already I actually would it. have a party, okay? And I, I love Mason Wynn. Like, don't get me wrong. That's just a name yeah. I was throwing out because I remembered Corbin Carroll signed a team-friendly extension right away. Yeah after like what 30 career games and then he goes out and mounts like a legitimate mvp campaign as a rookie so yeah he's going to be terrorizing us uh with the diamondbacks for the next however long yeah cool. but I, I yeah i to link it all together i wish the cardinals would have signed bryce harper and you're absolutely right and fans there should be some beef there oh oh man that was telling andrew before we started recording too it's like the Cardinals and the Phillies uniform sets are so similar to where they get the powder blue, the cream, the white, the gray, where it's like anytime Bryce Harper does something, I'm like, hey, that looks like a Cardinal. What are we doing? So, yeah. Oh, well, here we are. Another another young guy in his prime, just entering his prime is uh, Yamamoto. I know you guys talked about him last week, but um, just wanted to touch on that a little bit. He's going to be um, pitching in the, the Japanese postseason. I think they have a bye as well. We'll see how that plays. They've been playing with a bye for like decades, I, I believe. And no one in Japan has ever really complained about that. Um, it's fun how, fun how um, everyone's been complaining about that this past week. But um, anyway. Surely uh, it can't be having Lance Lynn start a postseason game for you. That's the problem, but whatever oh not at all not at all anyway um he'll be uh pitching for for his team um in the coming days so he'll be really exciting i know um you guys were talking about him last week i just wanted to to know one really quick thing uh some people were a little bit concerned about some of the japanese players have low strikeout rates um and i just wanted to hit on that um essentially the way, the way it works in Japan, hitting is a lot different. Um, they value contact a lot more than power. Um, and here in the U.S. and MLB, they uh, were pivoting towards a more power-centric focus. We've seen strikeout numbers skyrocket in the past few years because with power comes a lot of swing and miss. Um, so in Japan, 
it's a it's a lower level of play, but um, the strikeout numbers tend to translate fairly well. So his his strikeout numbers should be fine. Rest assured um, that that will not be something to worry about. Andrew, not gonna lie, man, when you said with great power, with power, I was like, oh, I was like with great responsibility. It was right there, man. It was right okay. there. But yeah. this, it does come with strikeouts. That's really interesting because when I look at like Yamamoto, that was a concern of mine. It was like, oh, are the strikeouts like yeah. they're kind of lower in Japan? That's weird, but really interesting. A lot of the guys actually see an increase in strikeouts. So um, Sanga saw a one point increase this year with this case per nine. So that's that's really encouraging. Uh, we need that strikeout stuff. So I mean, the K per nine stat I think from coming over from Japan is one of the ones that translates the best. Interesting. Uh, well, I'm sure. Have, sorry, I have like one more yeah. thing. I actually really want to play devil's advocate really quickly for some of these contracts. I was it was just churning in my mind. And I could not say it. Um, it's it's just so hard for like the Cardinals to make this deal because these mega deals cripple small market teams. And so I mm -hmm. guess I kind of could see, I, I see the hesitance and like, yes, we're right with Harper, but I feel like I can name now that I think about it, I can name more mega deals that end up bad than that end up good. And so I guess I see why the Cardinals are like, we're just not going to touch it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Like even, even until this year, the Yelich extension for Milwaukee, like was starting to look really bad. And like the Robbie Ray deal in Seattle, that's a pretty high AV for a team that doesn't have necessarily high payrolls every year. Like that looks really bad. And the Pujols deal like crippled the Angels and they're a big market team. So yeah. I don't know. Well, I will say here's a counterpoint to that I'll make a counter to your counter because I thought the same thing recently. And then I was like, okay, then like as I was going to be like, oh, let's look at the largest contracts and then we'll be history because surely a lot of them are busts. Yeah. Biggest one of all time right now, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts is number two, Aaron Judge is number three, Manny Machado is number four, Francisco Lindor is number five, Tatis is number six, Bryce Harper's number seven, Stanton's number eight. That's probably the first one I'd say was bad. That's a big boss. Yeah. Seager's number eight, Garrett Cole's number 10, Devers is 11, Machado again, his new deal is 12. Um, wow. Trey Turner, Bogarts, Rodriguez, Arenado, Rodriguez again, Miguel Cabrera. Like you don't get to Strasburg and 19 and Rondon and Cano are all tied and Pujols. Like those are, they're all tied and they're all kind of like a, some of the worst contracts, but like the actual mega deals that have gone out of the top, like 10 of them have actually all so far worked out, which but is kind of so weird. early in those. Yeah. Like, actually, the bad deals you named were just given by the angels and I don't trust. Like, yeah. them Most away. of them are the Mariners <laughs> of the angels give out the bad ones. That is but, fair. But, so, I, but like, yeah, right. It is pretty early in some of them. Yeah. Cause those, the bus that we're talking about, those are the last crop of mega deals that went out around 2010. Yeah. You kind of think about like, okay, the Miguel Cabrera extension, biggest deal at the time, bust. Yeah. The Robinson Cano extension, the pool, those three all went out around the same time. Yeah. They all busted and they looked decent for a minute. Although yeah. I guess none of them looked like the Bryce Harper deal. So yeah. maybe like none of them looked like the Tatis extension. So yeah, because yeah, like the team's getting a little smarter where they're like trying to do them a little bit earlier so the AAV is lower or they get the AAV lower because it's extended over time or they do it early in enough that the AAV is lower so i think the how you give out the deal is probably smart but like you said like if you're paying top of the market dollar value on a free agent over 10 to 12 years that could be messy but i don't know i think they'll round it out maybe the cardinals like to talk about how their top attendance they like to talk about how their fans show out 
If you're going to act like a big market team in that way, you need to spend like one. So either commit to being St. Louis and saying you're a small market, or if you claim that you have the best fans of baseball, you burst out the ticket sales. They were the most viewed. I don't know what this year is, probably lower this year, but last year, and they kept being the most viewed team in all baseball regionally. So network deals really good. Like I think they like to, I think they like to have it both ways where they like to flex that they get people coming in, but then also, Oh, we don't have money to spend. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know about that. So those can't be true. That's true. We'll see. Well guys, I think this is a good episode. We cover a lot of different things. Um, Again, hit the lids affiliated link. If you're looking for any Cardinals or postseason merch, we'll be back next week. I'm sure we've got a lot of, topics that will be evolving maybe there'll be some news on the audio front maybe there'll be some more free agent stuff to talk about but absolutely looking forward to the next time guys